Thank you for listening to Women in Sports. This show is all about advancing the narrative for women in the sports industry. I'm one of the hosts, Erin Sinnott. And I'm Ashton Pills. This is a Rising Coaches-sponsored show that gives women in the sports industry the opportunity to tell their stories and talk about their experiences. Glad to have you listening along. Stay tuned. Women in Sports is brought to you by Rising Coaches. Rising Coaches is the biggest coaching tree in all of basketball. We have over 1,200 members of coaches who, from the high school all the way up to the professional level. Uh, and there's three things that we focus on. Community, relationships, and development. There's no straight line in this business. There's only ups and downs and peaks and valleys. And when you're going through them, it is crucial that you have a support system and a community who has been through the fires themselves that you can lean on and help you through those tough times. Genuine relationships. We put the premium on genuine, uh, not just exchanging phone numbers and speaking one time a year at the Final Four, uh, but rather creating relationships that will last a lifetime and help you both personally and professionally. And finally, and most importantly, development. We are constantly providing resources to our members so that they can work on their craft and add tools to their toolbox. The premise is this. If you sign up and become a member for Rising Coaches for just $120 a year, the relationships and the network will take care of themselves organically so that you can focus on working on your craft and better serving the people that you come in contact every single day as a coach. For more information, visit risingcoaches.com and sign up for a membership today. I'm not folding, I'll upset you Cause I'm just too dangerous, I'm dangerous Let's be honest, say no contest Take those comments for my concept From the get-go, I just get so dangerous, so dangerous Alright, welcome to Women in Sports, week 13 We are super excited for tonight's guest Um Really thankful that they took some time to be with us. We're really excited. So Coach Lang from Grand Canyon University and Coach Rachel, who is the hitting coach um, for the New York Yankees. So we're really excited to have you both on. Yeah, thanks thanks for having us. Of course. So we like to kick it off by asking you, um, you know, two top tier uh, individuals in the sports world. How do you start off your day? Britt? Um, I'll go first. I know it won't be quite as uh, impressive or disciplined as what Rach has, but um, I would say mine kind of starts from the evening before. I really got in a routine um, a long time ago with after meeting with some other coaches and leaders of, you know, doing your checklist and, and organizing your day the night prior. Um, but currently, because it's pretty warm in Phoenix right now, uh, I do the kind of walk in the morning um, with the dog and everything and then work out and then try to organize again our tasks and just try to knock out as much as I can to prepare for the day because we all know in coaching um, anything can pop up at any time in the day and the more organized you are the night before um, before you get in the office it's usually a little bit more effective. Um, yeah I mean I I'm an early workout person so my morning usually starts with some kind of movement I guess um, I usually go to the gym by like five or six I, depending on where I'm at and 
just get it. And I always like to start my day like that. And I always have. So that's, that's my answer there. Um, and coffee. Of course. <laughs> yes. I love when people admit that they're coffee drinkers. I feel like they, as players, they were like, don't drink coffee. They always told us our coaches. And I was like, Nope, I will never, never take a <laughs> habit before the game, anything. Um, but just to kind of start things off, um, you guys were roommates in college, correct? At Creighton. Kind of. We were on the same floor. Kind of. Yeah. Same yeah. floor. Okay. Yeah. And my and door then, was always open and like <laughs> our door was always unlocked. So then it just would get like, you know, nomads that would come in. So Brittany would come in and, yep. you know, I would go down the hall and chat with her. But yeah, we were on the same floor. Definitely. Yeah. So then can you guys just kind of talk about how you just started that friendship? Um, obviously different sports too. And then just kind of how it's flourished into what it is now. You want to start <laughs> off, right? <laughs> uh, I would say, so I'll, t- I'll tell the story. I feel like I'm telling how I met like my husband. I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, it, was really cute. it was really cute. We met. <laughs> Um, I would say like, we just, we hit it off. We're both, we're both very intense people. And I think that we weren't even great friends at Creighton, but we both decided to transfer because we wanted to try our hand at a bigger school and and a bigger athletic department. Um, and that kind of bonded us to where we left and we both like kind of moved out of our comfort zone and moved away from home and went and like tried to be at a bigger program. Um, and then we've obviously just bonded over being coaches, you know, so we both entered the coaching profession. We, I mean, really our career paths, like we, we call each other like our twins, you know, cause our career paths were just like very, very similar for a long time there. Um, and obviously with Brittany being the youngest, you know, division one women's head coach and, and myself also getting a position at a young age. So we've had just so many shared experiences starting as a college athlete and then spanning through our, our coaching careers as well. Yeah, it's been really cool to have somebody like um, I think we're both probably get into it that it's really lonely um, at times in our positions and being the first to do something, the first at our age, you know, first being females. And um, we really bonded just over a lot of, you know, things we faced that we could looked around to kind of our our more friend group and they weren't experiencing the same things. So we had a lot of parallelisms in those things. Um, I think we like to be really intense and work like Rachel said, but we like to have a good time. We liked to be really well-rounded, I think, female leaders in sports. And that's where we're trying to find other people that um, have those similarities. But we've had an awesome time bonding, getting to know each other. Rachel makes me better. Um, and it is a big truth teller in my life. Uh, when things have been tough or not, she gives me a lot of perspective and, um, and everything from relationships to family to, um, to our craft. I love that. That's, that's so cool to see you guys like use each other to, you know, get better every single day, kind of talking about what Rachel said. And you mentioned, you know, finding people when you're lonely, you both made a lot of sacrifices to get to where you are at like right now. So, you know, before the show, Aaron and I read a little bit, you know, Rachel has a blog. She talked about being really broke and coach Lang, you've been through the trenches, you know, going to be a head coach. So could you just talk about those, you know, that adversity and how you handled that? Yeah, I, I want to first preface everything that I mean, I'm so grateful for the opportunity I've been given and, and I was given, you know, people work their whole careers for that. So I never want it to come off complaining, but I will say um, nothing good comes without challenges. And it was 
really challenging. You know how some people said, well, I didn't have like much of a childhood. I would say like, I didn't have my twenties. <laughs> I didn't have a social life. I think the second at 26, I was told this, you're going to be the head coach and this is your responsibility. And it was a tough job. I mean, it was um, after some major program adversity, it was going division two to division one, no history, no winning and no preparation. You know, it was gifted to me, not gifted to me, but I was called upon and rather than having preparation for it. And so um, that was challenging. I feel like my kind of social life or the ability to really make mistakes as a young adult in the profession, I didn't have that luxury because you're on a stage, you're in front of everybody, everyone sees your mistakes, whether it's recruiting, managing a staff, um, or even your poise out in front of everybody. So that's kind of probably more my um, sacrifice, if that makes sense. And it's a really formative time in your career of, of confidence, of abilities and things like that. I mean, I, I could just say ditto. Like, I mean, that's just <laughs> say, say exact same thing. Um, just that you don't really get, and from a more, I guess, in my particular situation, like you can't have a social life because God forbid people think, you know, it's okay for the guys to go out and get drunk and act a fool, but it's not okay for me, especially as a 26 year old taking over, um, just for anyone listening to this now or in the future, like my position when I was hired at 26, I wasn't just hired as a strength, an assistant strength coach. I was hired as a minor league coordinator. So I was overseeing 250 athletes, 10 strength coaches traveling all over the country to all of our minor league affiliates, assisting the major league strength coach. So it was a huge responsibility. Uh, and kind of the same thing where, um, you know, I couldn't even get an internship before that because of some discrimination. And then I shot right to the top. Um, and so, you know, out of nowhere, even though I had done six or seven internships and completely sacrificed social life, money, relationships, and uh, it was tough because then everyone watching you is like, oh, well, we'll see what she does. And it's all of your mistakes are magnified. Um, you And no one says it to your face, but you hear from behind your back. So you just have to be prepared for like, Honestly, uh, you have to have really thick skin, I think. Yeah. And and yeah. even then it's not easy, you know, like I don't, I think both Brittany and I have pretty thick skin and there still has been really tough times. So. And I would totally echo and share like the point Rachel said is um, whether it's truth or not, you just feel like no one's really in your uh, corner. It's one of those, oh, we'll see how that young coach does. Or we already know, we've kind of already written the history or um, what's about to happen to them in that position. And I think you get approached, I mean, we all get approached differently based on, right? Like our backgrounds and how we look and things. And um, I think just immediately you're not given the the respect that maybe a male coach that has been doing it for 30 years and has a family already. And there's just a different way you get approached by parents and recruits and um, AU coaches and things like that. So you have to really learn how to navigate that without ever losing your poise um, because that's what people are waiting for. And they're waiting for you to slip up. Wow. This is already like so many amazing golden nuggets. Mm -hmm. I I'm just so excited. Um, Rachel, you talked about your interviewing process. Um, obviously, I read your blog. So Ray, that's, that was a thing. That was kind of the name you went by um, and stuff like that. So like you um, basically talked about like your adversity getting hired because of your gender. 
Um, can you just kind of like talk about that experience? What actually happened when you finally got an interview Were you Ray or Rachel or kind of what was those, <laughs> what were those next steps? Um, what did those kind of look like? Ray was kind of a short, a short alter ego because I mean, you got to think though, by the time I decided to change my name on my resume and send out my resume, I was just, I was desperate because I had already had other experiences. So leading into the 2013 season, um, long story short, I applied for a bunch of jobs and I mean, ghosted, like no response, which, you know, as a young person, you don't, you, maybe I just kept thinking like, oh, maybe I'm not qualified, you know, but my, uh, after the fact, I, I knew that my resume was really good. Like I'd already had six internships and worked with LSU and Arizona state baseball and been a college softball player. I mean, my resume was very good and it was all to do with my gender. And so I finally leading into the 2013 season, I applied for a bunch of jobs, got like not even an email, not even like a thanks, you know, and then I got a phone call. I interviewed with one organization, two interviews. He was like, yeah, we'll hire you. Um, I'll call you tomorrow. We'll get all the paperwork started. I'm like, cool. Never heard from the guy. And I was like, that's weird. Very strange. So a few weeks later, finally, he called, he called me and said, hey, I'm really sorry to be the bear of bad news, but I wanted to hire you, but our front office wouldn't let me because you're a woman. And I was just very, very naive to that point. I had no idea that that was like a real thing that happened, you know? And so going into the 2013 season, I sat out the season and just waitressed and worked at Lululemon and picked up another internship at Arizona State so I could continue to keep up my resume. And um, so then coming around the next off season, I was like, I don't want to take any chances because I knew my resume was really good and I felt very confident about that. So I was talking to my sister and she said, why don't you change your name on your resume to be a guy's name? And I was like, <laughs> and then I was like, Hmm, that's a good idea. So I changed it. So I was in a really desperate spot. Honestly, I just was like, I just need to get on the phone with someone and maybe they'll think that I'm qualified or they'll, they'll think that I'm competent and able to do the job. So I just changed my name and sent it out and like got immediate response by email and a bunch of people responded and said, Hey, we'll be in touch, et cetera. Like very, very fast. Uh, and then I got a phone call from a guy who was clearly surprised that I was a woman and it was really awkward. Um, and so I just like, I changed it back pretty quickly to be honest with you, but it, what it did was strangely, it wasn't as frustrating. It was, it created hope for me. Cause I was like, Oh, my resume is actually good enough. I'm just, it's just this one little thing that I'm a girl, you know, but I was like, Oh, it's like one little small thing. Um, but I just, I actually got hope from it. I was like, okay, I'm doing the right things. All this work I'm putting in is paying off. It's just not in the way that I really want it to right now. Um, and then the next year going into that next season, I was like, planning on sitting out another season. It was really late in the off season. And the Cardinals called me. I had done a very short internship for them and they called me back to interview for the full-time position. Um, yeah. And I'll, I mean, I'll never, obviously never forget when I got the phone call to say that I got the job and never forget getting the phone call to say that they were going to fly me into St. Louis and interview me because I, I was in a mindset of like, I couldn't even get a part-time internship and they wanted to hire me to run their entire minor league system. I'm speechless right now. Sorry. We have no <laughs> questions, but that's, thank you for sharing that story. That's a sad reality, but obviously you continued and persevered and, you know, got the next spot, but coach Lang, could you just talk about on, when we were on the phone the other day, we talked about like leading before you're ready. Obviously you just mentioned like you didn't get most of your twenties. You're a head coach at 26. 
you got, you know, the title of the young, youngest coach D1 men's and women's basketball ever. So can you just talk about how you handled that pressure in a sense? Yeah, I don't know if I handled it great all the time. Um, I have, you know, two couple really good friends on this phone call and Brandon and Rachel that have helped me a lot through that. But um, yeah, I think it was definitely, um, I actually did a piece um, with, with someone that helped come write about the story a little bit. And my big thing was about being really authentic. So it's called opportunity of, uh, sudden leadership. And it's something I can shoot you after if you want to share it. But, um, I just kind of broke down like the step-by-step experience that you get, you know, everyone, I think that gets into sports or gets into coaching is like, I absolutely want to be a head coach. And it's kind of like when you start playing basketball, you're like, I want to go to the NBA but then you kind of experience the reality of what that all entails. Like, I think sometimes people think when you're the boss, well, that means just, just vacation time and you're out on the golf course and, and you're reaping all the benefits. And that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, when you are the boss, the leader, the head coach, whatever that is, I mean, there's no time off. It's 24 seven. You've got 15 players that rely on you um, and need your attention. You've got a, a handful of staff, support staff, administration, all those type of things um, that you've got to be on for all the time, plus recruits. So I think that was a lot for me at the beginning, just because it was an uncomfortable position. I enjoy being a leader, but to be the one in the spotlight so young without being overly prepared, um, I think was a lot. And I learned a lot. I mean, just even the four months out of my role at Omaha for the last seven years, I can reflect and have learned like, man, I was doing a better job than I thought, or gosh, I made those same mistakes or I see what other people are doing. And so much of your success, I think in athletics or is about your environment, like the leadership you're under, um, the staff that you have and like who you're bringing into your program. And if you do not have those three things figured out or a plan for that, um, it's going to be a really rocky road. And so I think I've really grown in uh, just understanding who you want around you. You know, we all heard here that you're the average of the five people you hang out with, but it's a very true thing. And um, I get better when I talk to Rachel versus somebody that's, you know, just kind of not really challenging themselves in, in their daily life. So I know kind of went off tangent, but um, I've handled it better when we're winning and the worst when we're losing. That's the reality of it. But uh, I feel like I'm 20 years older in the experience I gained and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Like, it's like, if I could go back and do it over again, I mean, I would be so much more prepared. And I'm trying to use those experiences now to help other people know kind of what to do um, when they get thrown into a position of leadership really, really young. Yes, um, that was, yeah. That's great. Ashton and I are like, we can't handle this conversation. It's incredible. You guys are great. Um, Rachel, if you could just kind of, as well as you said, you, you got the call, you were kind of thrown into the fire as well. Um, and then not, not only that, but then surrounded by, you know, all men, um, can you just kind of talk about your experience and then kind of how you were able to move like from the Cardinals and, and end up kind of where you are now? Yeah, uh, just so like a quick thing about I think, I mean literally, Brittany, Brittany, when when what month did you get what what when was that? Because it was January two thousand fourteen for me. Um, so it's been so our I got the head job the very first day of our practice in October, 
um, which would have been about that same time. So 2014. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. So well, actually 13, but yes, it would have been 2013 okay. kind of going right into that. Yeah. So like a few months later, I got that job. Yeah. I mean, we just literally went through this at the exact same time. And I think we both, I mean, I know you're going to agree with what I say right now, but one just like quick lesson. Cause again, just echoing like literally everything that Brittany said with just, you know, not handle. I look back and it's like, I was 26, you know, I think I probably did better than a lot of 26 year olds, but I was still 26 <laughs> and I still was limited in, in managerial experience. And so it is what it is. A lot of my employees still talk to me. So that's great. <laughs> that's all I can hope for. Um, so I think that like the one other thing I want to add to that is also, I didn't do a very good job of interviewing the employer. And so at that age, and, and by the way, no matter what they said, I probably was going to take that job because I was facing discrimination and like was completely broke and on my seventh internship. So like I was going to take the job probably no matter what, but I still didn't do a good job of understanding the situation that I was walking into, which was pretty messy um, and was not going to be, was not really a, giving me a good chance to succeed, even though that's, I'm not trying to make an excuse. I'm just, some situations are better than others to walk in. You're going to have more support from administration, from other, um, staff members from other departments. Um, and you just, I think I was pretty naive about what kind of situation I was walking into. Whereas that second time when I was interviewing with the Astros, I asked a ton of questions and I was like asking people about their workout regimens and their families. And I was just like, I need to know everything. Uh, I was much more wise about just making sure that my values align and also making sure that I was going to have support in different departments because you underestimate, you think, oh, my boss is really good, but that's not the only person you have to worry about. You have to worry about a lot of other people that are going to affect your ability to do your job really. Um, so I think that like just really being really, uh, you know, very diligent about how you're entering an interview process and, and the kind of research that you're doing about the organization and the situation you're walking into. Um, so anyway, to answer the second part of your question, Aaron, was that from there, uh, I was actually, I mean, and Brittany, we kind of talked about this, so I'm going to bring it up, but I, I was actually fired from the Cardinals. However, you know, fired or just my contract ended and wasn't renewed and it was a mutual breakup. And it's something that I, I, from the very, in that moment, I was happy about, you know? And so I think it's when, now when I hear somebody gets fired or loses their job, I'm like, congratulations, because you just know really, really what happened there is just values weren't aligned and philosophies weren't aligned. And so it just gives you a chance to go somewhere else where you fit, you know? So now when I hear that, it's like, I don't, I don't feel any shame about that. And when I, and even, you know, Brittany, if you want to talk about, it, I just was yeah. like, I think when, you know, Brittany's going through something like this, I was like, yes, like, great. You know, I'm so happy for you because it just, this happens all the time in sports. It's very common and no one ever talks about these experiences, but I'm glad that I, I'm glad that I didn't get renewed at such a young age. So now I'm not afraid of that. And also yet again, just a reminder of like, I'm really, really meticulous about understanding what type of organization I'm walking into and to finish up. And then Brittany, I'll let you kind of talk on this. Um, Brandon, you did. Um, yeah. Uh, to kind of like full circle now. So entering the Yankees organization, same thing. I just, I was very, very, very aware of like a lot of different pieces in the organization. And I was watching them from afar, understanding who they were hiring, what type of player acquisitions they're making, like really studying the moves of the organization to understand if that was a place where I wanted to work. And that might sound silly because it's the Yankees, 
but still they're just like any other organization we've got pros and cons and things that need to get better and and I think that this time around, I was even more meticulous. My boss I've known for four years. So I knew, I know exactly what I'm getting with him. Um, and I just, am, I just am hyper aware of understanding when you go to, into an interview process, it's not just you're on the hot seat and they interview you, like go and prepare and understand, try to understand this, the entire situation of what you're walking into. Yeah. And I, I'll openly add it because I think something Rachel and I have dedicated kind of our mission or passion to is being real and being open because when we were in those positions early on we we didn't have anybody to go to when we were going through some tough things and no one was really being real with us because I think everyone's so worried about saying the politically correct thing uh, worried about the competitive advantage in athletics and yeah Brandon and Rachel both congratulated me when I um when I left Omaha and got fired and I would say it was kind of a, a mutual thing as well because I I needed to leave I I knew it and I think I felt the pressure of man you're in a such a highly sought after position at such a young age you'd be a fool to ever admit that maybe this isn't the right fit or time for you and that was hard. Like I had put so much weight and pressure on myself that I couldn't, I almost felt kind of trapped with that. So it felt like a weight lifted and now I can go kind of breathe, but it's like everyone kind of congratulates you on your first failure, right? Like you haven't really lived until you've had your first failure and kind of like Rachel's saying, it's just like a relationship. Like you're not just going to join in to something without doing your research or whoever seeks you or seeks you out first or the most. I mean, you really got to do your homework. Otherwise it's just not going to be a good long lasting thing. And at least, you know, the goods and bad, so you can be more prepared. But, um, you know, I didn't interview for, for my head coaching job. I was called in and said, Hey, we want you to lead and you can't walk away when you're called into leadership, but also you can admit that you're, you're not quite prepared. <laughs> and so that was kind of more my reality with it. But I am so much better today because of what I went through um, in that leadership and also going through that failure just in the last six months. For sure. You talked about like the good and the bad, the culture. Um, I wrote down hyper aware. I think those are things that are huge. I think they're things that kind of, I feel like women have a lot more than men. I feel like men will just kind of, no offense, take a job and run with it and whatever, be like, I'm a head coach. This is great. Um, but can you guys just kind of talk about like those kind of non-negotiables that you have, like, Coach Brittany, like you're obviously going through this transition into a in, into a new program. Um, Rachel, you talked about you know that hyper being hyper aware. What are you guys now making sure that you have in your life and have in your leadership and administration, like kind of moving forward? Great question. Um, I would say first a few things, and I know it sounds vague and maybe even cliche, but resources. If you're if you're in the business of being judged on winning, you must have resources. And I don't mean you have to have like what KU men's basketball does, right? Um, but you need to have enough to meet the expectations that are gonna be placed on you. And then I would say uh, people like, for me, I don't care if I, the spotlight's on me or the person next to me, but I know about myself. I am not driven unless I'm around some other really good, intelligent people that are self-motivated, you know, self-motivated. I think so many people in our business are so focused on the networking and um, 
perception. And so they spend all their time there of kind of faking the image, faking the work, tweeting about how much they're grinding and, and all this stuff, but like just genuine, authentic people that want to be really good. And I, that's who I'm attracted to. And that's how I feel like I gain my value each day. Um, okay. What do I look for? I mean, I just, it kind of, I kind of already said this, but I'll go back, like get, dive in a little bit deeper of like, I try to pay attention to the decisions that are made in an organization. That's going to let me know how they operate internally. And so when I was looking, you know, I had known that there was a possible opportunity with the Yankees, um, about a year prior to be honest with you, because my boss from the Yankees was with the Astros and he was telling, he had gotten a job with the Yankees as their coordinator. And I was like, okay, maybe like, I know you, I like you, I'll work for you, but I need to understand what's going on in the organization. So I started to just pay really close attention to what they were doing. And they ended up making some really, uh, I don't always like to use this word, but like extremely savage hires that were completely like out of, seemingly out of left field, just very progressive. Like they hired, for example, they hired um, a head coach. I had been a head coach in baseball and collegiate baseball for 15 years. They hired him into the Yankees organization with no professional baseball experience at all, just a college coach to help run up, help head up their player development. And that's really like, that's might seem normal to people out there, but that's like very, that's like unheard of. Like the guy has never worked in professional baseball He's been a head coach for 15 years and somehow the Yankees like plucked him and brought him, brought him in. And there were a few other hires like that, including my own boss who had only had two years of professional baseball experience and the New York Yankees hired him to run their entire department. So I think I just tried to again, watch like the moves that they were making to help me understand how I would be received. So if I was the only like rogue hire, you know, in there, it'd be really difficult, but they're just extremely progressive and I was watching what they were doing and just how they were handling certain situations. And I was like, okay, I was trying to get a feel. So I think for me, just making sure that you're going to have support at every level. Um, because again, as Brittany knows, it's like you could have great support right above you. And then the next person in, in the chain isn't supportive and that wrecks everything. Or you could have a really supportive top level person and the person right above you is not supportive and that ruins everything too. So it's like making sure that again, that you like are not just looking right in front of your face, but understanding the whole athletic department, you know, how try to watch the decisions that are being made by the athletic department and go, like what's going on there? Why is that happening? There's some kind of breakdown in leadership. There's some kind of breakdown in, you know, coaching or whatever. So I think just having a, again, a good understanding of the decisions being made by the organization and making sure that you have support. Kind of going off of that support and, you know, Coach Lang, you mentioned, you know, working with people that empower you, that challenge you, that are like-minded, you know, self-motivated. How have you guys been, you know, staying healthy and empowering each other, like during this quarantine when, you know, things are really stagnant? Um, could you just talk about some things that you've been doing um, mentally, physically, you know, to grow as a coach, grow as a person? Yeah, it's... um it's a tough time for so many people. Um, and I know we get in our bubble with athletics and we think that's hard when we just can't go practice, but just like getting outside of that and understanding how many people are struggling, you know, to provide for their families or just, you know, struggling in isolation. It's just been really enlightening to kind of get outside of that athletics bubble for me as I kind of transitioned. Um, I, one thing I'm doing, and this is not a promotional thing at all, but it's something I shared with you, Ashton. Um, I think 
I rewind it, the origin origin of it was when um, I felt like I need some leadership help. How do I run a an effective meeting? How do I delegate properly? How do I have tough conversations? Like literally when you're a head coach or kind of a CEO, how do you manage your, your little business? And I had a hard time finding those people and I actually found somebody outside of athletics that was a CEO. Um, and she's kind of an executive uh, leadership coach a little bit. Um, and then we kind of brainstormed and we branched out to other coaches, head coaches in women's basketball that we felt also would have that great temperament to, you know, add some good value and dialogue, but also like be great listeners. So we created this group called Huddle Up and we get together once a week over Zoom and it's kind of ranged between five to 10 of us. Um, and it's been so good. Like we've gotten better because we bounce ideas off of each other. We've eliminated that, that like, you know, competitive shield. I think people have of, are you going to share secrets? Are you going to, if you get to know me on a personal level, are you going to ever use that against me? I think that's been really helpful. And we've just been talking about how to navigate teams and players and student athletes during COVID because these kids are going through a lot right now and basketball is not the first thing on their minds. Unfortunately, we would love it to be because our careers rely on it. But um, those kind of weekly dialogues with other coaches going through the same thing um, has been invaluable. And then um, just kind of, just kind of reflecting on, I don't know, just reflecting with a lot of friends and a lot of colleagues outside of just what we do. Cause I think, not all the time, just basketball coaches know best, like strength coaches, like Rachel does. I talk to Brandon often, he's on the men's side. And I think just getting different people's perspectives is, is really important. Um, I'll kind of, yeah. I mean, I'm like a big mental wellness, mental awareness person, um, mostly because like, I really struggled with that in college and um, as an athlete. Uh, and also just like, my job is so stressful. And so I just like, I mean, and I've had this conversation with Brittany is like, when I get time off or, or when I get free time, I take it, you know, I, I like, I, I don't feel bad about it because I work 80 hours a week or whatever, 80, 90 hours a week for big chunks of my life. So I don't have balance in the way that, um, you know, in the way that you think where I like, I wake up and I meditate for 30 minutes and then I have my coffee on the porch. Like that doesn't happen. Are you kidding me? It's like, come on, give me a break. I don't have mental wellness in season. So what, what, if you want to recap the past, like a year and a half to two years of my life, I to uh, fall of 2018, quit my job with the Houston Astros, moved to Europe with three suitcases, sold my car, sold everything that I owned got rid of it, moved with three suitcases to Europe, was in school for a second master's degree for a year, depleting my entire life savings, moved back to the United States, went to do research at driveline baseball. I lived in an apartment in Seattle without heat during the winter time, worked six days a week for 12 hours. Then I got hired by the Yankees. I was flying all over the country to do interviews and all this stuff, hired by the Yankees. Then I drove straight from Seattle to spring training and started working again, you know, 12 hours a day, and then there's like camera crews and press and all this stuff. And I'm learning new names and I'm trying, I'm getting lost in Tampa. And I'm just like an absolute, like, I mean, it was a, a long time of just like cumulative stress. So frankly, when COVID hit, like I'm never mad when I get an opportunity to take a step back, 
you know, I've never met. So from you, like when you're talking about like, how do we, how wellness and what, how are we using this time? I left Tampa and I took a two month road trip through Utah and Colorado. It wasn't that I wasn't working, but I just was like, what am I going to do with this time? And I'm going to go to a very remote place in the country. And just like, I, I worked quite a bit actually through zoom and video and all that stuff, but then I would hike at night and get out in nature. And just like, when there's an opportunity provided to me to have wellness and space and time to reflect, I take it. So I did that. Um, I also started a mentorship program for young women. So I'm mentoring six or seven young women in their careers uh, who are kind of probably early to mid twenties who are going through things that we're talking about right now. Um, So I started that mentorship program and that really fills me up and I really enjoy that. And so I'm just doing things that make me happy. And I'm doing a lot of zoom calls and podcasts and interviews and trying to be available and, um, accessible and a visible idea for young women. And so I don't know, I just, for me, I've taken this time to obviously work and watch video and those kinds of things and throw batting practice and get better. The only ways that I can during a COVID period as a hitting coach, but also, um, because I'm not working 12 hours a day and, and being exhausted and being outside in the heat all day, and then, you know, falling into my bed at night, I'm taking it to improve from a mental and physical aspect for me because that's important you know like we we as coaches want to say like Brittany said we want to oh we're grinding like no no sorry I'm going to be the first one to say that I took a month-long trip to Thailand two years ago and I took a month-long trip to New Zealand a few years ago a month not a weekend I took a month and I don't feel bad about it because we, we we absolutely just kill ourselves as coaches and when I get time to take a step back, I do not feel bad. I just don't. Absolutely, for sure. Um, yeah, I commend you on that. That's that's really incredible. And I think even just being able to say it and not be ashamed about it is is an awesome thing too. Um, you guys both kind of talked about, you know, creating these these groups to help one another and um Brittany, you talked about, um, or excuse me, Rachel, you talked about this mentorship program kind of segues into kind of my next question. Um, so what are kind of the main issues that you think that kind of those early twenties, people that are looking to get into this industry, um, like obviously not everyone's getting thrown into a head coaching position, but just kind of what's the, the main, um, kind of struggles people are having and then what advice that you guys have been able to learn from being thrown into it that you can really share with them? Um, I guess I'll go a little bit. Um, I think it's such a comparison game all the time and I don't want to go down the soapbox of social media, but everyone kind of feels like you have to follow this path. And we all know in coaching, it's so fluid, like anything can happen anytime. You could be at the top of your game and the next minute you're down or you do nothing and then you have a breakout thing. And I think so many coaches are like so worried about the next job and climbing, the next job and climbing, the next job and climbing. And they don't really enjoy some of the great spots they're at or how they can make a spot that they're at very, a really good situation. And you just kind of see sometimes people don't always appreciate that. And and then I think sometimes everyone's so worried about chasing the next thing, they stop worrying about getting better. And I so many people just stop working at getting better at communicating at their craft, at their teaching, um, their knowledge of the game. And that's where 
I would give the advice of, you know, the reason I, I truly believe this, the reason I've gotten any opportunity in my life. And, and let me remind, like, I'll share with you guys. I'm from a town. I'm a slow, slow, slow kid from a small town in Iowa that could only shoot threes, right? I didn't play AAU. I was a recruited walk-on into Creighton. And then from there, I went to the big 12 in the Iowa state. And, and I was bottom of the totem pole. And then because I was present in what I was doing, the people around you will recognize it and then they'll elevate you. And like, I could go through that my whole life. It was, you know, cause I worked hard at my current job. I didn't think I was uh, better than it. Then it opened another door and another door. And then finally, you know, coach Fenley at Iowa state who, if people know women's basketball is, is, is wonderful. He'll be in the hall of fame. And, and he recognized the, probably the worst kid on his roster was working really hard to learn everything they wanted from an X and O standpoint that he created coaching spot for me. And that just has always trickled in everything. So I would say dive into every area in your program. Like it's kind of like undercover boss, you know, wear every hat in your program, learn what the strength coach does, athletic trainer does, your GA does everything. And like the more you're equipped like that, people recognize who knows what's going on and they'll keep them around and they'll elevate them. And I think that's kind of the secret to it rather than who do I need? You need to know people, but there's no really secret sauce other than be present, do a great job where you're at. People will recognize and then just know how to connect to some of the right people. And that would be probably my theory on the whole thing in general. Yeah. I'll kind of like kind of piggyback off of what you said, like, you know, and, and again, like Brittany and I have talked about this a million times, but don't be afraid to take a step back and like to go to the smaller program or whatever, it, you know, whatever that means for you. And um, what's funny is like people, people are asking me now, like, oh, is it hard to go from, so I was a coordinator in baseball for four years. And then I went to double A, which is like one of the highest minor league levels before they make it to the big leagues. And I'm now a lower level hitting coach, like a very low level minor league hitting coach. And people are like, oh, is that really hard for you to go down? You know, and I'm like, no, I belong. I, I need to get better here. You know, like this is, this is the best opportunity for me to coach. And another like good lesson is this off season, I, I interviewed for the Yankees and I was, I got the job. And then the San Francisco Giants called to interview for me, me for a major league position which would have been a huge leap. And so now, now at the age of 33 or 32, I was, I can really cognitively say, yeah, that's a much like more prestigious job with probably better pay and all these things. But like, am I really going to learn the most doing that? No, I'm going to do way less coaching because all these guys are big league players and you don't, you do coach of course. Um, but there's much less hands-on coaching at that level um, and it's just like, I have to think in my mind, what's going to make me better at my job? Not what's the best title, the highest level, even the best pay, what's going to make me better. And sometimes that's taking a step back and like, you know, Brittany's living that right now. Sometimes that's taking a little pressure off of yourself and actually like being healthy as a human, that's going to make you better. Sometimes it's not reading a book. Sometimes it's not actually getting technically better. Sometimes it's really just taking a break. Like one of the best things that I probably could have done in my life is take a break, which wasn't a break, but I moved to Europe and went to school for a year and I was out of baseball and I felt so refreshed returning, you know, and ready to get ready to get back to it. And then of course COVID hit, but 
I returned like with some mental space away from the game. And I really feel like that actually made me better to leave for a year. So I think that it's just like, don't try not to, you know, get away from the idea. Like Brittany said, like get away from the idea of I need to climb, 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 and start thinking of really, truly what's going to make me a better coach. Sometimes that's not reading a book. Sometimes that's not getting better at the X's and O's. Sometimes it's getting better at having empathy or communicating. Sometimes it's uh, getting better at, at hiring, get a hiring process. Like it's just, it's so, um, it's, you know, like Brittany's alluded to. And again, everyone wants to put out like, oh, I read 50 books during COVID quarantine. How many did you read? And you're like, you know, like I, I didn't read, I didn't read a, I haven't read a single book cover to cover during COVID. And I feel like I've still gotten better because I'm watching a ton of video. For me, I'm a new hitting coach. I'm watching a ton of video. I'm, I'm studying our players internally. I'm studying other, I'm studying the game. I'm watching, I'm watching a ton of baseball and just studying different things I haven't thought about for a while. And I'm actually throwing a lot of batting practice and those things are going to make me a better coach, not reading another book, you know? I will add on to like, I don't know if I would have had enough courage just because of social perception at times, if like, I didn't have people like Rachel encouraging me, like I was really excited to take kind of this job and on paper. I mean, I've been a head coach longer than any other position I've ever held. And um, I think at times people are like, or how are you going to be being off court for a little bit? Or how are you going to be in a not being the one having it your way all the time? And I'm like, I'm going to be happy and I'm going to be great. Like, I'm going to learn. I'm going to reflect. I'm going to help other people not make mistakes that I did and feel impactful. And so like that step over, I think on paper, people are probably what, what's going on, but it's been a great move for me. It's not a, you know, a permanent thing for anybody, but a great move for me. And just like what Rachel did, she went back to school um, and took on tough things like PhD in a different country. Like I even visited her over there. I don't think she loved life at that time. You know, like it, made her, it made her better. And I think it's okay. Like we're not always going to go straight this way, but if you dip a little bit and use it to your advantage, um, you can really traject to like a whole yes. other area. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You guys are like perfectly going into like our next questions and this is great. Um, so basically you talked about you had, you stepped away, you're in quarantine. Um, what kind of was that like, you know, not everyone was like, were you looking to go to be another head coach somewhere? Were you looking, you know, to be like, absolutely not no head coaching positions, like kind of what were those steps that happened behind the scenes kind of once that um, chapter closed at Omaha? Wow. Um, so I'll be very transparent. I think on May or excuse me, March 9th, right? Uh, I'll even rewind it. Seventh, I think we played South Dakota, who's fantastic. Uh, Coach Don does an amazing job. They're ranked top 25 in the country. Whooped us. Like it was like, I knew I wasn't going to return to Omaha, but like just let me go out kind of with, okay, but like whooped us. Right. So then on Monday I have my meeting with AD and, and I'm anticipating it. It's like one, I knew that needed to be a change probably for a couple years now. And so I have that thing. And then I was planning to get married in June. Um, so I was, and then on like March 11th, I feel like the world just stopped, right? Like COVID hit. And I felt like 
you know, all this time, 24 seven for nine years, I've been dedicated towards my craft. I've done the right things. I've always been compliant. I've always put the the team and program doing the right things in front. And so now this was going to be my three months to enjoy life, uh, focus on like the actual girly things of getting married. And, um, and so what happened, and I thought I was going to have plentiful because I'd spoken to a lot of coaches and we knew what the movement was going to be in springtime for coaches. And I was going to go take that kind of associate role with a couple. Well, COVID hit and movement doesn't happen. And, um, I was eager to kind of move out of the city for a new change and wedding doesn't happen. And you're like, how does this work right now? I, and I, um, actually signed up to work. I don't know if you know our head coach at Grand Canyon, Molly Miller, super impressive. Um, she is 34, the highest, uh, winning percentage in NCA. And, um, she, I just felt really like before she was even named here, I just felt really connected. Like, man, I really want to connect with her and meet. Cause I just felt compelled to help somebody, um, or be around somebody with similar experiences in leading a program at a young age. So COVID hit and it's kind of changed our trajectory and that's okay. Um, but I've moved in that time. I've uh, taken a new job, a new role, changed personal plans. So there's been a lot going on in the last five months or so. Definitely. Yeah. And so then that kind of just happened and then you took the position and then how was it kind of meeting your new team via Zoom? Yeah. So you have a really, it's been interesting. I, I mean, for programs that have been established and staffs that have retained, um, that's hard enough. Um, but we were all from the Midwest trying to lead a team that was two hours ahead of us in time zone. Um, we hadn't met them in person. We hadn't recruited any of them. We're trying to pitch our system and expectations and, and get them going and work ahead. And even with recruiting, we can't evaluate anybody in person and we can't have them visit right now. So you're wanting to start building, but you feel like you can't really. And so that's been like a whole nother thing as a new staff that is tough, really tough. And I think if we have assistant coaches on here, have a lot of empathy and awareness for maybe what your head coaches are going through with managing all of these unknowns. Um, but we did meet some of our players finally in person um, but it just isn't quite the same just because you have so many COVID restrictions. I mean, wearing goggles and masks and gloves and sanitizing the ball every time we touch it right now. Uh, so it kind of just changes maybe some of the, the little kid joy you have with basketball the first time. But we're, we got on the court first time today and it, it was really nice. That's really good. You guys have been so honest and transparent this whole show like thank you so much so before we get into our next segment you know more focused on specific women in sport question questions do any of our viewers have a question if you do you can unmute yourself at this time to ask Brittany or Rachel before we move on I have a question Miss Ashton to both of you all whoever has the ha can offer any suggestions how do you handle criticism how do you handle criticism? I call Brittany and I tell her that the person's crazy. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, no, the, the truth is, is like, I, and I'm pretty sure that any boss, even if they liked me or didn't like me, would probably say this about me is that I wish my bosses were more honest and direct. And so when they criticize me, I'm like, thank you. Like, thank you for telling me the truth. 
about this really tough issue. Um, and I usually ask for more feedback. Um, I mean, I just, I, that's, I think that's the only way to, to, to take that is just to go when someone's giving you feedback. Now, the thing is, is if somebody's giving you feedback and you're like, I don't want to change that. And I've been in that situation, um, trying to think of how I can maybe phrase this uh, yeah, I mean, like I've had a, a couple of bosses say like, you're too aggressive, you're too hard on the players, um, those kinds of things. And it was a philosophical difference. And so I just was like, I don't agree with you. You know, like, and it was a very, it was a really in that particular situation. In fact, I would love to tell the story because I like cried today about it. Uh, it was with a particular player and they were like, you know, you're treating this player like he's a dog. And I was like, no, I'm treating this player. Like I have high expectations for him and I'm holding him accountable. And I knew that I had a good relationship with this player, but it kind of got in my head. I was like, does he like, is he responding to this? Cause I, I think he's responding. He's doing a lot, you know, he's doing a lot better. He's pushing himself. Um, and he, I got a lot of criticism was one specific player and then a couple of other guys and ended up that player uh, a year or two later had a daughter and named her after me and he just made it to the big leagues today. So I'm a proud mother over here, but it was, but all that to say is like, I didn't agree with the feedback I was getting to the point where I was like, I think you just are giving me this feedback because we don't see eye to eye on coaching philosophy, which was a problem, which meant I shouldn't have been there in the first place. So I think that within the current situation where I have a very similar coaching philosophy, like a broad coaching philosophy as my boss I'm like, give me all the feedback because I want to be more like you and I want to be better at what we teach. And because I truly believe in it, I believe in the way that we teach it. I believe in our, our, the way that we want to be hold, holding players accountable. So I want to be better at that. Um, so I think, you know, if, if you're getting feedback consistently that you're like, nope, I've thought about it. I've received your feedback and I just don't agree with you. Maybe you don't belong there, you know, so that that's okay too. That's, that's it's just, it's just what it is. It's feedback. So you can do whatever you want with it. Yeah, I've um, ridden a roller coaster with that, with criticism mm -hmm. and feedback. And um, early on, it's you're afraid to make a mistake. Um, everyone's a perfectionist. I hate when people say, well, I'm really competitive. I mean, everyone's competitive, right? Like everybody in athletics is competitive or everybody's successful is. But um, I think I had to have a revelation of, um, I don't know if you guys ever listened to Brene Brown or her podcast, but like the, the man in the arena, um, it's mm -hmm. really about who it's coming from. And if you, you know, you wouldn't get advice from them, don't take criticism. But I hate when people say, well, don't care what people think. You're human. You're going to care what they think. And if you're competitive and a perfectionist, you're going to care what they think. But I had a revelation of I'm in the head coach's seat. I'm the boss. I'm the person I have more information than anybody else around me. And not everybody always knows what that information is, right? Um, but I'm going to be criticized every single day for everything I do, unless I am undefeated. And still, again, I bring up Bill's self because I love him, but he um, is still criticized, you know, and he's what, uh, one more championships than he's lost uh, home games. And it's just, you're going to get criticized in the seat. It, it, you're either too hard on him, you're too soft. You're either too communicative, you don't communicate enough. And you just have to know, like, find truth tellers, like Rachel said, you want to be told the truth. And if you can find a couple people on your staff, in your circle, leadership that like will tell you the truth, then just, and you respect them, then I would just only listen to that. 
um, and I would not follow social media um, about comments being posted about you, especially when you're going through a hard time, because some of those images and things, you just, words you can't get out of your head. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, like, and, and Brittany knows this and especially in the past like six months for me personally, I mean, like literally people attacking me, Rachel, not just like women and the pro the like, nope, it's me. Like they're, you know, talking about how, oh, it's ruining Yankees tradition to have a woman in the position and all this stuff. And it's like, I, I think I just go back to, I, I laugh, you know, I think I honestly like want to do a, a like mean tweets segment about the funny stuff that's said, because it's like, they don't know me, they're strangers. And so what, what Brittany just said is like, if you wouldn't accept advice for them, why would you accept criticism? And these people are strangers. So the social media thing, you know, I'm just like, you know, save it. Like, oh, the Twitter haters, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, that's cute. Like read my resume, people. I don't understand. You know, they, they don't know me. They didn't read the article. They don't understand what's going on. So they're strangers. I, I definitely think like Brittany said too, like the people closer, your bosses or colleagues and stuff. Again, I think that's just a, you have to evaluate, know who you are. And if you're getting consistent feedback about something you're doing that you're like, nope, I, I'm hearing you and I still believe it. Maybe you should leave. You know, I think it's funny how people, we all understand that like not everyone wants to date us and we don't want to date everyone. But for some reason with jobs, we all think that like every job, everyone should want to hire us and we would be great at every job. But like, it's not, it's not that way. You know, it's the same thing as dating and values and understanding who they are. And maybe you just don't fit there and that's okay too. But you have to evaluate that and know that before you hate your life and like want to quit the profession is, is probably the key there, you know, so be able to evaluate that situation. If you're receiving criticism consistently, that's not aligning with you. I don't know if I'm going to go over on time here, but I just want to add one last thing to it. You're good, um, you're good. So I think it's funny, not funny. It's actually quite sad. Like I've had a lot of people ask me like, Oh gosh, how do you hope I'll be really transparent, like Omaha does now. So you're not there. You know, I hope they do well because if I did my job with the culture and with the kids, then it will get better. And I do think they will. And you know what? I think the new female head coach they hired there is excellent. I've never met her. And I hope she does well. I hope she doesn't have to experience some of those things that I did and the tough things and transitions and things I inherited. But like, I really do. I honestly want to kind of reach out to her and let her know that, but I really am cheering for them and for her because she is more prepared for that job than what I was. And so like, I think that's a better job probably for, for her and her resume than probably it was for me at that time where another job in the future will be better for me than maybe somebody at another time. That's huge. Yeah. Thank you so much for just sharing that and being transparent once again. Um, does anybody else have any questions? I'll ask a question. Um, so you guys both mentioned, obviously, you know, either getting fired or, you know, having that, you know, revelation. I think there's this notion if you leave your job where you're at, you know, it's so hard to get back into the industry. Like it's, it, it's almost impossible. Mm -hmm. What's your best advice to somebody who's kind of afraid to take that leap of faith? Cause obviously your mental health is your most important priority. We're being honest, like yourself is always the most important thing. So I think a lot of people are afraid to take that leap of faith because of the conception that you're not going to ever get a job again, or it's like the, it's like, there's like a 10% chance. Um, so what's kind of what you would leave. say. Leave while you still can with your sanity. 
<laughs> and yeah. I understand. I let, I, everyone told me that when I left baseball to go back to school in Europe, literally so many, even my close mentors were like, it's going to be hard to get a job. And not only did I get a job, but I got a job as a damn hitting coach. You know, I just, anything's possible. And, and frankly, is it worth it? You know, and, and also you got to ask yourself too. I tell people this all the time. I'm like, how much money are you making? Could you make the same money you're making Uber driving and not having to deal with like going to work in a bad environment every day? Like get out of there. Yeah. You know, and if you, if you have done your due diligence and if you make connections and even if you have to sit a season out and take time away and just like work a normal job to get by, if you really still want to be in coaching, take a season off. But for God's sake, like don't become depressed and, and out of shape and hate your family. And do, like, why are you doing that for a job that, you know, it's just, I, I'm living proof that you can leave and come back. Yeah, Jonathan, um, I struggled with it. I bet you I talked to 15 people after my change of, do I take time off? Cause I'll tell you in my heart, that's all I wanted to do. I, I felt like I had dedicated every second, every ounce of everything um, in mental health too. And I don't mean on a severe level, but you're just not the positive, productive version of yourself, right? Like you start not recognizing that. And it was like, do I stay in? Do I not? Do I stay in? Do I not? And I think everyone has to stay, stay in it because it increases your chances, but it's different for everybody. I know, I know head coaches in the Atlantic 10 that have taken time off and, and BCS assistants that have taken time off and people that mothers that have taken time off and I've seen people that stay in it, but it's really like a, hopefully COVID has explained to everyone. Life is very short and that's cliche, but it is. And what is going to make you most happy? And maybe being a high school head coach is what makes you most happy. Maybe being an administrator now what is make is what makes you happy, but um, you can only define that. And if you really want to get back into it, you can, you just have to be open to my route might look different and just stay connected. But it's all opportunity and timing. And um, again, I didn't necessarily deserve a head coaching job when I got it, but it was opportunity and timing. And um, you just kind of have to trust it and trust uh, your faith in it. That's good. That's really good. Uh, does anybody else have a question? I'll okay. ask um, some women in sports questions and then she can throw that up in there. How's that? Perfect. Um, and so basically, um, kind of how we, the reason for our show and stuff, um, along those lines is just, where do you guys kind of see like women in sports going? Like, what do you think are opportunities that can continue to advance? Are there more, you know, women stepping into leadership, stepping into administration? Um, what are just kind of those, those gray areas where you see, um, women being able to kind of step in more moving forward? Um, you want me to go first? Okay. Um, I, I think, I mean, we're getting the opportunities are increasing, you know, as time goes by all the time, I think at women's basketball, um, a few years ago, all the years run together for me, but it was, we were really criticized for a lot of male coaches get, and trust me, I've had two male, three males assistants. So I don't mean it like male, female, but um, a lot of men were getting criticized for getting jobs or coming over from the men's side to the women's side with no experience coaching women and just getting those jobs. And there was kind of an uproar in our profession about that. Um, I mean, rightfully so. I, I kind of equated it to it would be like if I, who had head coaching experience, just jumped over and was the men's 
um, head coach at Iowa State, which is my alma mater. And everyone would get really wide eyes about that, but they weren't getting wide eyes about, you know, a man jumping over and being a head division one coach at a bigger school. And so um, I think the opportunities are increasing. I think we need way more women in administration um, that have had those experiences because again, it starts from the top all the way down, but we are seeing a really cool trend right now with so many females getting head coaching jobs for the first time and from so many different backgrounds, very diverse at this is points. And I think that's um, says something for the progression of women's basketball right now. Um, I mean, I'll just speak like directly from my perspective is that, I mean, I think we're going to, we've seen already, hopefully um, this year that the floodgates have opened, especially with like the amount of press surrounding. So they're just, I'm not sure if everyone knows, but there's actually four women who are coaching in baseball now, like on-field coaches. Um, I'm the only like full-time hitting coach. And then there's a couple of other uh, women who are doing like dual roles that are like sports scientists slash hitting and then uh, scouting slash hitting or something. Um, and it's like, I, it's interesting for me because when I first got in and I was the first ever uh, full-time female strength coach in professional baseball and no one cared because that was seven years ago before women's March, before the me too movement, before uh, social media was covering uh, all of these women's sports and women in sports in general, before Becky Hammond, like no one cared. I didn't even have an Instagram, you know, like social media, the, the media surrounding women's sports has exploded, absolutely exploded in the past five years. And so it's interesting. Uh, I was interviewed by Jessica Mendoza this year, who's a like famous softball player and baseball announcer now. And she said, what do you think is the biggest indicator that, you know, things have been, have been progressing. And I said, well, the fact that you're even interviewing me about this because six years ago, I also made history and it was like, it didn't happen. So in the past like five or six years, it's like this explosion of celebration of this. And so the four women that are coaching on field, we've all received all this press. And I think that's great because then the, what it really does is I think it creates an idea for women that it's possible, which means they'll actually apply. Because it's like people are like, oh, we need oh men and they're not hiring women. And I'm like, well, that could be true. But also I've been on the receiving end of resumes for coaching jobs in professional baseball and no women are applying. None. So I couldn't even hire a woman if I wanted to. So it's like I've, I've received like 200 resumes for a job and I might get one not qualified woman for the job to apply. So how can we possibly get women to apply? Hopefully it's because there are more women in higher level positions and it becomes visible. So then a woman goes, why in the hell has a, has a high level softball coach not crossed over to professional baseball? Why? A hitting coach, it's the same exact thing. Why has that not happened yet? And I really think it's because no softball coaches out there are going, and maybe they want to coach softball, but maybe they've wanted to coach baseball and they've just thought it wasn't possible. So I hope that a bunch of softball hitting coaches out there are going, wait a second, like I'm going to start applying for professional baseball jobs and see what happens. And then hopefully we get more women in. So I think you know, and Brittany said, we know we need more people in administration. So I think it's really, it's top down, but it's also bottom up. Women got to apply and they got to make themselves qualified candidates and compete with the men for these jobs. So it's, it's top down, bottom up, outside in, inside out. It's, it's every which way that we can't just put all the onus on, well, men don't want to hire women. Well, women aren't applying. So we got to up, up our game too. How, how, I, I just wonder in basketball, Brittany, what do you think, or anyone on the call, 
how many resumes for a head coaching job at, for a men's team, how many resumes do you think come from women? For a men's team? For a men's team. How many women apply for those jobs? Um, well, then, nothing. ladies, we got to step up. You know, it's like, it's not all their fault. We, it's, they're not going to call us and be like, hey, will you please apply for this men's head coaching job? Apply. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, uh, I think Muffet McGraw says it's like at the WBCA or in general, it's just, um, you know, women have to make sure they can do the job perfectly before they'll apply. And a lot of times men are just like, I'm throwing my name in the hat and then I'll see what happens when it gets there. And I mean, Ashton, you're a great example for it. I mean, you're with the top, one of the top men's team in the country and you're a manager. And I mad at myself. I even thought, Oh, I didn't even know it was possible. I didn't even know that they would hire that. And that's so cool that you're doing that. And I, I think even after I left my job at Omaha, I just felt cause we had a losing season. So I felt like that was a failure. Well, no one wants, wants me. I'm not good at this. You know, I'm, I had seven years of head coaching experience. And I've just turned 33. Like my resume is good. You know, I've, I've done a lot of different things, but for whatever reason, there was something in my mind too, of like, I don't know if I can get that job, that job. And then I, my fiance had to tell me, Brittany, people are leaving the job you're saying you can't have to try to get the job you just had. And that like really triggered with me, like, wow, I, I need to look at myself differently too, because I think we can all just start thinking like we have to be perfect for it rather than like qualified for it and then grow in it. And I couldn't agree more with what Rachel said on that. So great. Whoa. That was real (laughs) and honest. Literally. (laughs) This is what we want right here. This is so great. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I can't. I can't. <laughs> no, that was we brought up Brene Brown. Like everything great is happening right now in my life. <laughs> okay, so sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, that was that was really good. We, you know, we obviously started out by asking you how you start your day off, but we like to end in what we call our points of pride. So just both of you, if you could talk about you know, whether it's the worst or best day of your life, what are you trying to get out of every day? And, you know, when you're going to bed at night, like you look back and go, okay, hey, I did this and I'm okay with how I got better. If that makes sense. Grace, you want to go? I was going to say, oh, I want to empower people. But I think like the best day I have is when I, I empower someone to take a risk. You know, it's not just like I empower someone to work out more, you know, like when someone's like, I'm quitting my job, I'm moving to New Zealand, going back to school, like taking a big risk. You know, I want to, I want to empower people to apply for the job. They don't think they're ready for to quit their job. You know, I want to apply for people to jump off the cliff and just hope their parachute opens. And I want people, you know, I just, yeah, I think I feel the best when I, you know, I brag when I'm like, yeah, talk to her. And then she quit her job. And then she moved to Europe. Like it was crazy. Like I, I just, I love instilling the idea, um, that you can do something atypical or different. That's a good day. Um, yeah, I, Rachel's excellent at that too. Um, <laughs> she really is. Brittany many times, many times yeah, helped me break up with people and take new jobs. <laughs> so, um, no, uh, she, I, I would agree. It's again, nothing like fancy, but like improving something like I I just really enjoy improving something um whether it was something as small as this week of helping our 
you know, recruiting meeting improve or just like improve somebody's mood, improve something that I um, learned. Uh, like I just like improvement. I hate when things are stagnant. And I think um, that's kind of the general. Both great responses. Well, that, I, I think this is one of our best. We love every week. We don't have favorite guests or anything like that, but this was incredible. But we're your favorite. It's okay. <laughs> it's, fine. it's fine. We were not going to tell anyone. We're not going to tell anyone. <laughs> so, this was so good. I mean, you guys are such self-motivated people, but you really have done a great job of being the first at something, being real with how hard it was to get there, how hard it was to stay in that place. But this was really good. We, we really want to say thank you for taking some time to be with us. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. And just leaning on each other. I think that's the biggest thing too, is like reaching out to somebody like you guys even play the same sport and you know, all of these things. It's just so cool the way that the world, the universe works and thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you guys. It's you guys. Uh, really cool to see what you guys are doing with your platform and at your age too. So it's, um, mm -hmm. it's awesome. Keep it up. Thank you so much. Um, whatever you feel most comfortable with, could you maybe drop an email if you're okay with that? If you know, viewers or guests want to reach out at a later time or your social media, whatever, whatever you feel comfortable with. If they need encouragement applying for a job, you know, they aren't qualified quitting for <laughs> quitting a job, anything. Yeah, probably for me, if you can spell my last name, you could find me. So um, just, I mean. Wait, I would put it, hold on, Rachel. I would put it in the chat just because this is live on YouTube. There you Perfect. go. RachelBalkovec.com. Perfect. Oh, wait, duh. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> she has great blogs and podcasts on there. The most recent one's a doozy. If you want to check it out. Yeah. Videos. <laughs> go watch her power clean something. It'll <laughs> <laughs> yes awesome. all right all right well thank you everybody thanks for joining thanks guys see you next week thank bye you. thank you for listening to women in sports this show is all about advancing the narrative for women in the sports industry i'm one of the hosts aaron Sinnott, and i'm ashton pills this is a rising coaches sponsored show that gives women in the sports industry the opportunity to tell their stories and talk about their experiences glad to have you listening along stay tuned Women in Sports is brought to you by Rising Coaches. Rising Coaches is the biggest coaching tree in all of basketball. We have over 1,200 members of coaches who, from the high school all the way up to the professional level. Uh, and there's three things that we focus on. Community, relationships, and development. There's no straight line in this business. There's only ups and downs and peaks and valleys. And when you're going through them, it is crucial that you have a support system and a community who has been through the fires themselves that you can lean on and help you through those tough times. Genuine relationships. We put the premium on genuine, uh, not just exchanging phone numbers and speaking one time a year at the final four, uh, but rather creating relationships that will last a lifetime and help you both personally and professionally. And finally, and most importantly, development. We are constantly providing resources to our members so that they can work on their craft and add tools to their toolbox. The premise is this. If you sign up and become a member for Rising Coaches for just $120 a year, the relationships and the network will take care of themselves organically so that you can focus on working on your craft and better serving the people that you come in contact every single day as a coach. 
For more information, visit risingcoaches.com and sign up for a membership today.